to just make a quick uh, announcement. They're making announcements. I'll give a quick report. This summer, this is our 20, it was our 28th summer, and in my opinion, it was one of the best, if not the best, we've ever had. On Monday nights, we expect young people to get saved, and they do. They come forward. We'll have anywhere from 45 to 70 kids standing in the front, and about 60 to 65% of them are accepting the Lord. The rest are making sure they're saved and so forth. The thing we saw this summer that just thrilled me to death was the fact that we had on the front porch of the, of the bunkhouses and Miss Kate's place and all the rest, counselors leading kids to Jesus Christ. We had soul winning going on all summer long. On the front, the back, it was just exciting. So I just praise the Lord. And I want to, and I, one man asked me, and I'll, I'll tell you this so you get a basic idea, and then we're going to talk about something that I think you're going to, I trust you're going to appreciate. I know I did as I worked on it. But what we, one man asked me, he said, why, what do you say, what was the reason you'd give for this being, uh, this camp being seemingly so blessed to the Lord? And I said, there'd be probably seven reasons. One is we're true to the word of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit has come. He shall glorify the Lord Jesus. We glorify him. Philippians 2, God hath highly exalted him. We exalt the Lord. Ephesians 6, 6, please the Lord. He said, we're winning kids to Christ. We're teaching kids soul winning. Every kid goes out of circle C with their Bible mark for soul winning. And I said, and we pray a lot. And I have a man in Ohio. His name is Woody. He's my prayer buddy right now. I met him last year. The Lord gave him to me as a prayer buddy. He spends four to six hours a day in prayer. And I'm going to be calling him today to tell him, Wood, we had the greatest summer. Thanks for praying. He just labors in prayer for the ministry. So I'm so thrilled to be a part of a work that's winning young people to Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this so you understand. You're in a world, and so am I, that the devil's out to ruin our families, out to ruin our, ruin our kids, our marriages. He wants to ruin. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. Don't take this lightly. Be vigilant. Be on guard constantly. Why? Your adversary, the devil, goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may literally destroy. And we're in a tremendous battle. And the battle is for our families. And I'm here this morning to share with you some things that we have found that work. Now, I was asked to speak on this, and they gave Marge and I, my wife and I, the best compliment we could have had. They said, Wes, would you speak on how to rear a godly family because you have one? I said, I'd be thrilled to try. I've never done this before. I've preached that to men. I've preached to ladies and so forth, but never on this subject. But Marge and I, January 1st, will have been married 40 years. We have a 36-year-old son. Yeah. We have a 36-year-old son. He's a youth pastor in West Virginia. We have a 30-year-old son. He's a youth pastor in Buffalo, New York. We have two beautiful daughter-in-laws that love the Lord and love our boys and, of course, an adorable two-and-a-half-year-old grandson. But I look at the family, and I say, terrific. Now, I want to share some things with you. If you've got young people here, listen carefully because this is going to involve you. If you're not, you're already married. The first part will not, will not do anything for you. It's too late for that first part. But trust Trust the Lord, it's already happened. First thing you've got to realize is to rear a godly family happens long before you ever are having a family. It happens literally, be, should happen before you even meet the one you're going to marry. The first thing you've got to make sure of is that you're a Christian. Now, this is a word that's glibly used, born again. And it's used by everybody. They use it in Hollywood, they use it in television, they use it everywhere, born again. But what the Bible is saying is to be a Christian, a child of God, 
first thing you have to do is admit to God you're a sinner because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of God's glory. You have to admit to God you can't save yourself because the Bible says not by works of righteousness which you do, but according to his mercy he saves you. Third, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ alone has eternal life because God said, I placed eternal life into my son. He or she that hath my son hath life. He or she that hath not my son hath not life. Then most of the time we'll jump and go to now receive Christ. But Jesus said, no. Before I'll walk into your life, there's one other thing you're going to have to do. And you find it in Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus said, I tell you, absolutely not. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repent is not just to be sorry for your sins. It's to be sorry enough you're willing to quit. It's a change of mind. I turn my back on sin and I invite Christ in. Then as many as receive Jesus, to them Jesus gives power to become children of God. That's the first thing you need to do. You need to make sure you're a Christian. The second thing is you need, now listen carefully, you need to know that you're under God's authority. Bible tells us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is the least you can do. In other words, God says, I want you to turn over the reins of your life to me. Galatians 2, 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ literally lives through me. It's what they call, as Paul put it, I die daily. What does this mean? First John 2 tells us what it means. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three basic sins. Lust of the flesh, we all know what that means. It's all kinds of perversion, all kinds of immorality. The Bible says that we are to turn from that. Even as Christians, we are to make sure we are not involved in anything that would have any appearance of evil. Turn from wickedness of immorality. Second, Bible says lust of the eyes. That's greed. And that is a thing that permeates the church of Jesus Christ. People are so greedy. I got news for you. If you are a greedy person, you are not under the authority of God. To be under his authority, greed has to go. Also, Bible says lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, selfishness. We live for ourselves. God says, no, not if I'm in charge. If I'm in charge, then you don't live for yourself. You live for me. What does the Bible make it clear? You're going to follow Jesus. Luke 9 says this. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What is he talking about? To deny yourself means to deny your will. Jesus said very clearly, those who are willing to be follow me, they're the ones who deny themselves. Who are my brothers and sisters? He says, those who do the will of God that sent me. So you've got to realize you got to deny your own will. You've got to deny all the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You've got to deny the worldly pleasures. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. This is one of the biggest problems we have in our church today. We don't want to come under God's authority. Because you see, the moment you do what you are saying is, Lord, it's no longer I. It's you. You become a crucified Christian. And as Dr. Tozer said years ago to me, he said, Wes, when a man is crucified physically, the cross is behind him, so he can't look back. He's faced in one direction, the way the cross is faced. He has no future plans of his own. He's crucified. He said a crucified Christian is one who puts his hands at the plow, does not look back. A crucified Christian is one who has faced in one direction, heavenward. The crucified Christian is one who has no future plans of his own. Lord, do you want me? What do you want me to do? And you find this out when you follow the scriptures. When a man was crucified, a lot of people think a crucified Christian is having my life redirected. No. 
When a man was taking that cross up that hill and the Romans were going to have him crucified, his life was not being redirected. It was being ended. And that's exactly why Paul said, I die daily. Daily I die because I want God to be supreme. Now, to have a godly family, you, first of all, make sure you're a Christian. Second, you're under God's authority. Now, I speak to you young people who aren't married yet. When you're under God's authority, here's the beautiful part of it. God, in his infinite wisdom, will then pick out the one he has planned for you. I speak from experience, having been engaged to a wonderful Christian girl. Beautiful singer. I play piano. Nice arrangement. It's going to be a good thing. And I found out, I met Dr. Tozer in the summer of that year. He told me how to let God program my life, how to get under God's authority for six months. I didn't do a thing about it because it was awesome. It was scary. It literally was. To say no to everything of self and say yes to everything of him, I mean, the flesh fights that. In December, I came to a crisis in my life, and the Lord and I got together, and after six long days, God won out, and I'm so grateful he did. The moment he won out, took that girl from me and gave her to someone else. Ten months later, he introduced me to his choice for a life's partner. I couldn't have what we have today at Circle C if it hadn't been for Marge. Godly woman, loves the Lord, loves the ch our children, loves souls. God said, I'm giving you the one I have for you. And I say this not against that other lady, but had, had we gotten married, she more than likely would have divorced me. Because her desires were completely different from what God had called me to be. See, that's why I say come under God's authority. You've got to make sure God's in charge to give you the right person. I, I'm an evangelist. I get into homes where I've seen pastors have married the wrong woman. It's not good. And this is why you want to make sure you're a Christian. Number two, you're under God's authority. Now, number three, for you single kids yet. We'll get to you married people in a minute. You want to pray for the right one. Now you're under God's authority right one. I was playing piano in a big crusade for Dr. Bob Sr. at Bob Jones University. He was a preacher and I was a piano player. The old boy, he died in 68, but I was his piano player then. And afterwards, he said to me, he said, Wes, you got a girl? And I said, no, sir. I said, I've got time for that. And I kind of fluffed it off. He looked at me. He said, don't be stupid. Now, when he says, don't be stupid, you say, pay attention. He was the founder of it. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, outside of your Christian being a Christian and following the will of God, in other words, coming under his authority, he said, the most important decision you're going to make is the woman you marry. He says, you better put her number one on your prayer list. You know something? I did. You know something? He answered. But you need to make sure you're praying for your life's partner. If you live to be a normal age, more than two-thirds of your life are going to be spent with that one person. It better be the right one. Now, you're married. All right. You haven't children yet, but you're married. Now what do we do? Now you pray. Now Marge and I did this. We prayed. And I said, Lord, we if you want us to have children, we want children. But here's what I said to the Lord. I said, if they're going to be sickly, they're going to be a problem physically, I'll accept that. But the thing I cannot accept, if they are not going to be Christians, I don't want them born. And Matthew 18, 19 said, As if two of you agree and lay hold on anything they shall ask in this earth, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. I was as sincere as I could be. If God wanted me to have a child that was sick, that would be for my benefit and for my, my good. But I said, Lord, I couldn't take the fact of a child of mine not making heaven. I couldn't take that. So we prayed together. Wesley was born. Three years and three months after we were married, Wes came. 
We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Four years of age, he woke me up. Mom was sleeping. She had been working. She was a nurse. She had been working, working together to pay off the second mortgage of the home we were living in, Canada at the time. And he came and woke me up. I said, Wesley, what's the matter? And he looked at me, and he said, Daddy, I'd like to become a Christian. I got out of bed. We knelt together. I explained again the little plan of salvation, and that little guy said, that's what I want, Daddy. I led my son to Jesus Christ that night. The only regret is I didn't wake Marge up. He, I put him back to bed, and I went back to bed, and I laid there and all night long. I didn't sleep one week that night. I kept doing this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Six years after West was born, Wayne came along. Five years of age, families, and we're in a crusade in Michigan. Come back to the motel. Marge says, honey, Wayne wants to talk to you. I said, yes, son, what is it? He said, daddy, I'd like to become a Christian. We knelt down. I remember little West was on one side, as we called him then, and Wayne, myself, and Marge. And Wayne, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. God had answered my prayer. What I'm saying to you people is, number one, make sure you're a Christian. Number two, make sure you're under God's authority so you're doing what God wants you to do. And let me say this so you don't misunderstand. If you're not under God's authority, you're going to live your entire life and miss the will that God had for your life. You're going to miss it. God has a plan for the Christian. If we say, Lord, show me the plan, he will. So when the child, children come, you pray, Lord, do a miracle. Save him. He did. Now comes the tough part. It's called discipline. Let me tell you, this is tough. They're so cute. They're so adorable. And they sure know how to put on a face, don't they? Oh. What did you do? Oh, and they give you that face. Oh, my. Now, please don't misunderstand me. But I had been in a lot of preachers' homes. And I saw kids that were brats. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to have a brat. Boy, did he put me to the test. Oh, you know, you've been there, yeah. Woo! He gave me the gears. He gave me Wesley. Wes will tell you this. He still remembers it, and I don't know how he remembers it. But one night, he and I went at it. He must have been two years old. <laughs> two. Huh? He gets out of the crib. The, yeah, he was, laying, he was sleeping in one of those cribs. He got out of that. He goes over and he tries desperately to stick his finger in a light socket. So I did what the Bible says do. I whipped his butt. And I put him back to bed. I thought, thanks, Lord, that wasn't too bad. Do you know he got up seven times? At night he was wearing diapers. I took his diapers down and I welted his rear end and I put him back. I went in the other room. I almost cried. I said, Lord, I can't kill this kid. You've got to help me. I was desperate. He stayed in his crib. Wayne was smarter. He saw what Wes went through later on. He said, man, it's not worth it. <laughs> Wes was about five years old. We were at a conference. I was a speaker, and he, boy, did he misbehave. And he was, didn't do that. I don't know what ever caused him to act like that. But I took him outside. 
Nobody knew what we were doing. I took them far enough away from the tabernacle. And I went out and I said to them, I said, son, you did this. Now, here's the way I would do it. I would never, never spank my children when I was mad. That's just venting your anger on them. That's wrong. I was calm, and I said, son, you've done this. This is wrong. Now, God says I've got to punish you. If I don't punish you, he punishes me. I'm not taking your licking. Forget that. You're going to get it. The way I went. And I did what I had to do. I looked around. There wasn't anybody. I didn't see anybody. I did what I had to do. He, then I, what I would do is after I finished that, I would hug them and hold them and let them cry. And I'd tell them I love them dearly. But as a Christian parent, I had to spank them because they have to learn to mind. We finished. I let dry his tears. I said, you can go in by yourself. Daddy will wait for a while so people won't know anything has happened out here. And he went in, and just then out of the woods came this woman and her husband. You ever see a woman that walks like this? <laughs> Do you ever see a man that walks like this? That was it. She came snorting up to me, and she was mad. She said, I saw that. I said, yes, ma'am. My son and I were having a biblical discussion. Here's what she said. She said, don't you want that boy to grow up and respect you? I said, no, ma'am. All he has to do is obey. Respect is a byproduct of obedience. Never forget it. If they made to obey, they'll respect you. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he shall go. Now, there are many scriptures on teaching, but this one says training. There's a difference. Teaching is what your teachers do at school. They give the material to the young person, the child or the young teenager, and then it's up to them to make a grade. They'll either fail them or they'll pass them. To them, their job is to give it. Train doesn't say that. Train says, I not only tell you what I expect you to do, I make sure you do it. We train horses at Circle C Ranch. When you train a horse, you make sure it understands what you want, and then you make sure it does it. And if it doesn't, you smarten it up until it does. And this is what the Bible's saying. We're not only to tell our children what to do, we're to make sure they do it. And that is not easy. I know that. I have a dear buddy, I would never mention a name, four children. He never once licked his child. Children, he never once made them mind. He was well off financially. What he did is he would say, now go to bed. He'd call a boy by name. We'll call him Joe because that wasn't his name. Joe, go to bed. Joe's about five years old. Go to bed. Your mother wants you to go to bed. Fifteen minutes later, Joe, go to bed. Hour and a half later, Joe goes to bed because he wants to go to bed. I almost went nuts. Now let me tell you this. Now I bring my family down. Here are my two sons, 12, 6, 13, 7, that age. We're driving on home. And Wes says, Dad, could uh, Wayne and I talk to you? I said, sure. Now listen to this. He said, please, please don't have us go back there again. I said, why? He said, those kids don't know how to mind. They didn't really. It made them sick to realize those kids can do anything they want. Well, what happened to them? One's playing a, paying a paternal suit. Till the kid's 18. The other two had children out of wedlock. The other one's living for the things of this world. I'm telling you, parents, you owe it to the children to give them proper discipline. Now, I know our country is trying desperately to take that out of our hands. 
I say this kindly, our leadership is ridiculous. When it comes to the realization that you kick God and the Bible out of school, refuse to let the parents lick their children, give them the proper discipline they need, what do you do? You put metal detectors back in school. This is what you've got. So I'm sharing this with you. I demanded obedience from my children. They will tell you this. I spoke twice. They got it. Just that simple. It was a nice arrangement. You don't do it, you get it. It wasn't that easy, but it had to be done. I know many times I wiped away tears when they weren't looking because it was hard. It's not easy. They're so adorable. I know that. But like I said on radio one day, we were on Neil Bourne's program. Wes, being an obedient child, saved his life. I could have lost my son. He was running full tilt. I, we were going to go for an airplane ride. Pilot, and I knew the guy well. He had a nice twin-engine aircraft. And I said, tell your mother we're going to go for a ride. And you can come along. He went out this way. Comes back, he's coming this way. The engines are going full bore. He can't see the propeller. It's going so fast. He doesn't realize it. He's just chugging right at it. I stepped out on the wing and I screamed, Stop! Just like that, he stopped. He looked at me. I said, Back up! He backed up and his little lips started to tremble. He was, well, What did I do? I said, You just saved your life. And I heard the pilot say, Thank God that kid minds. Parents, you're not doing them a favor when you let them get away with it. I mean that. They won't respect you. They won't respect the teachers. They won't respect authority. They won't respect, period. They've got to learn obedience. And it was always a joy to go into the schools when they'd have teachers want to meet the parents. I knew what we were going to hear, and I liked it. You've got such a well-behaved child. You better believe it. Up when we were in Canada, they were back then they allowed corporal punishment. And I told Wes, I said, you ever get a licking in school, boy, it has to be a picnic. What you get when you get home, you got that. You know what they do today? Sue. You touch my kid, I'm gonna sue, bunch of idiots. Mental midgets, I'm gonna sue. That's all we think about. Too lazy to work, why not sue? If you want to rear godly children, let me tell you, you're gonna have to give them discipline. Then you teach them. The Word of God. Now, we're going into the Bible in a few moments, but I want to just share this scripture with you. You teach them the Word of God. The Bible says this, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You teach them the Word of God, not only by studying it, you teach them it by Christian living. You live out what you believe. The kids see an example in mom and dad that they love the Lord. They love their Bibles. They love to pray. And it was, I, I remember when I was a young boy, I came into the room. My daddy, he was on his knees. He was praying. He was a great soul winner. He was praying. I, that impressed me. I never got over it. My daddy prayed on his knees. He was praying. We need to walk the talk as we tell our kids. Let them see Jesus in us. Men, dads, the greatest thing you can, one of the greatest things you can do for your kids is to love their mother. Never forget that. Don't hesitate to put your arm around that dear wife and say, I love you. They need to know that. I try to make it a policy at least once every day to say I love you. I know one guy said to him, you ever say I love your wife? He said, hey, I said it when I got married. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. <laughs> Boy, he was a winner. But now I want to share one more thing with you, and I want you to hear this because to me, this is one of the greatest things that happened to Marge and I. Up to this point, both our boys now are saved. 
Both our boys are yeah, we having devotions regularly. If I'm not home, of course, Marge would do it. And I might say this. I give, humanly speaking, I give 80 to 85% of the human credit to Marge. I was on the road as an evangelist with Youth for Christ. I was the president of Canadian Youth for Christ. I traveled all over the country helping my guys in their work and all the rest of it. So I had a tremendous amount of traveling to do. But I did my best to give 50% of my time in the home base because it was God, family, and ministry. And I said I can give at least 50%. Later, I got it up to 65% at home. But Marge was with the kids and doing it. But then at when Wes was 12 and Wayne was 6, I came upon the greatest information I think we had ever had given to us. Now let me say this. You parents, you want to protect your kids. You want to protect them from harms out there. You want to protect them from any difficulties that might come. You do your best. You want to protect. I met a giant of God. I was the president of a Bible conference. I was I had run it for 18 years. This giant of God was one of our Bible speakers. I did not know he was one of the top authorities on Satanism. I did not know this. He, along with Kirk Cock, in the same league. I did not know this. And this giant of God was our Bible teacher for three years. And one day I found out, and I won't go into the details on that, but I found out through a personal problem that I had, a problem that was I thought was physical, that he told me what was the problem, showed me what I had done, and I had to renounce and reaffirm my allegiance to Jesus Christ, renounce what I had done, and so forth and so on. And then he taught me how to protect myself from the enemy. Then he taught me how to protect my marriage from the enemy. He taught me how to protect my children. Now let me tell you something. What I'm going to share with you now is something Marge and I started when Wes was 12, Wayne was 6. By the time Wayne was 10, he was spending an hour a day in his Bible. Both boys dynamite testimony at the secular school. They had a junior, senior, head of their Bible club, as they call it, Purposeful Life. I saw an increase in hunger of things for for God. Do you know, Marge and I have never, to God be the glory, we've never had one night of worry with our children. Not one. That's a, to me, that's a miracle of God. No drugs, no, no tobacco, no premarital sex, none of it. Why? I am convinced what I'm going to share with you now is one of the biggest reasons all this took place. You got your Bibles? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to see what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the trickery, the deceitfulness of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, notice, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is spirituality that's wicked. This is in the spirit world. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, we're told to take on the armor. All right, let's find out. People say, what is the armor? No, it's not a what, it's a who. Look at what the Bible says. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. 1 John 2, 1, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus Christ, author and finisher of our faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation. 
and uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the helmet of salvation, Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 14th verse, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. The entire armor is Jesus Christ, and Romans tells us, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at this scripture, and I'd seen it many times, and I realized it was, finally, I realized it was the person of Jesus Christ who was our armor, our protection. Dr. Mundell shared this with me, and I had never seen this before. Look at verse 16. It says, above all. Now, when you see an above all, it would almost seem that it's a little more important than the rest. Above all. Take what? The shield of faith. Now, wait a minute. The shield is the only part of that equipment that from, except for the sword, which is an offensive weapon, the protective part is the only piece of equipment that can move from the torso of the body. It's movable. Above all, take the shield of faith. What does it do? It quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now listen carefully. What quenches fire? Quench, liquid. What quenches thirst? Liquid. What's the liquid of Jesus? The blood. Above all, the blood of Jesus Christ not only cleanses from sin, but is a protection for families, for marriages, for ministry. And he shared with us how this works. It is phenomenal. And I challenge you when I'm done, try it. You will be absolutely amazed if you will be persistent and not quit. Now, it's costly. It'll, it'll cost you. There's that under the authority. That's part of, the, part of being involved in this, under the authority. So now we find... We are to apply and utilize this protection. How do you use it? First of all, 1 John 1, 9, we must confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins because Isaiah 9 tells us very clearly the fact that my hand's not short and I can't save me, yours not heavy, I can't hear, but your sins and iniquities have come between you and me and I will not. So we have to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything he shows you, Lord, what's in my life you don't like? When he puts his finger on it, confess it, renounce it, repent of it. I don't want it. Make sure you're clean. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 8.17. Romans 8.17 and see what the Bible says. And by the way, this is going to be the theme verse for, uh, I'm going on radio in uh, September 1st in Rochester. It's called Born to Royalty. They offer me a half hour. I only want 15 minutes. I'm a, material like this I'm going to give out on the radio because I've met I'm, giants of God have had such an impact on my life. It says this, 17th verse, if, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, the Bible tells me this. I cannot understand it. I cannot grab this. I am actually an heir of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means everything is Jesus is mine. I mean, I can't fathom that. I'm human. I can't do it. But I accept it because it's Bible. So what I do is I claim the fact that I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, what you're going to find, I'm going to give you the prayer. We pray a prayer, and this is the first thing we do. We claim our throne rights. Now, secondly, take your Bible if you have them with you. Luke 9.1. Luke 9.1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, but they were given power over all demons. Then you find in Luke 10, verse 17, he gave the same power 
to the 70. He's given the power to his disciples, the followers of Jesus. We have the power and authority given to us. What kind of power is the Bible talking about? Ephesians chapter 1, it says these words in the 19th verse. And I'm running around here in the books, but I hope you can follow me. It says this, what is the succeeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? What is it? It's that which wrought Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, put all things under his feet. That's the same kind of power and authority that God uh, the Son allows me to have over the enemy. Now, I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I give you power and authority over the enemy. Now, the Bible says, the psalmist said, 62, 11, once if God spoken, twice have I heard this, power belongeth unto God. It's like this, a big truck's coming down the line, semi. The police officer stands there, he's got the badge, his uniform, puts his hand up, and that big semi stops. That officer has no more ability to stop that truck than anything. It'll run right over him, but he has the badge of authority. And God the Son gives us as Christians the badge of authority over the enemy, if we'll use it. It's costly, though. You've got to be in the right relationship. So I accept this authority. Now what do I do? Turn to Revelation 20, uh, 12, 11. Revelation 12, 11, look what the Bible says. And I love this. The Bible says this. And they, the Christian, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame him. Notice it didn't say God overcame him. It says they overcame him. You see, what happened is God gave them the power and authority over the enemy. They overcame him. When Job, uh, devil was talking to Satan, I mean, Satan was talking to God about Job, he said, uh, I can't get at him. You've put a hedge about him. God put the hedge about him. Now Dr. Mundell says God gives us the privilege of putting the hedge about him. That's our privilege as heirs and joint heirs. We cover ourselves with the precious blood of Christ. We cover our, There's a movable part. We cover our children with the blood of Christ. We cover our marriage, our ministry. The staff that are here from Circle C will know this. We train them with this. They learn how to cover with the precious blood of Christ. This is one of the reasons I know we get so many kids converted, because we're beating the devil before the kids get to circle C. Literally, we are. We're doing what the Bible says do. So now, protect. So I do. Now, take your Bible if you got it. Turn with me to James chapter 4. Look what the Bible says. James chapter 4, the Word of God makes it clear what we are to do when it comes to the enemy. And I love this. It says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice, you resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. I take my stand against the enemy. First uh, Peter 5 says this, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. There it is. Resume steadfast in the faith. Sure, it means the faith we believe in all the rest. It can easily apply to this, Dr. Mandel says, because the faith in this scripture has to do with the shield that is the precious blood of Christ. So I resist him, and the Bible says resist him. I literally, literally rebuke him. I say this is where it ends as far as that's concerned. Now, let me give you the scriptures on this. Um, in the book of Ephesians where we were talking, it says how we are to uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to take our stand against the enemy. Now, in Mark 11:2, it tells us that we are to say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea. Many people use that as a prayer promise. That's not even a prayer. Mark eleven twenty two. it says, Say unto this mountain. It doesn't say pray. It says, Say unto this mountain. 
What is he talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 17, 14, he explains it. In Matthew 17, 14 is a story about the demoniac boy. And he was, uh, he was the disciples couldn't do a thing for him. So what? when Jesus came, he said, bring the boy to me. And Jesus cast out the demon, and the boy was set free. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, <coughs> because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain. Say mountain. What is it? Demonism. The enemy. Say unto it. Not pray. Say. Let's, what does the Bible say? Well, not, not what we think it says. What does it say? And Dr. Mandel showed that. I'd never seen that. He says that is a command. You looked at it. No, did it the Greek. It had nothing to do with prayer. It has to do with a command. Say. And so what I do is I cover myself with the blood of Christ, and I turn to the enemy, and I say to Satan and his demons, I command you, in Jesus' name and the blood that was shed, I command you to let go and leave alone that which I have covered with the blood of Christ. Now, to keep from having a vacuum in that situation, you immediately invite the blessed Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, fill that vacuum and let him be in charge. And I invite him to take over the territory the enemy had to let go of. Now, I've learned a lot from giants of God, and I've been very fortunate. I was in Morris, Manitoba in a crusade. And uh, there they rolled up the sidewalks at night. So in a town of about 2,500, we would have anywhere from 13, 1,400 a night in the meetings. But this Thursday night, I was to speak on the occult. And uh, they had a man coming from Winnipeg, Manitoba, who had been for two years undercover working with Satanism to find out what the satanic groups were doing because they don't know what to do with them. They're wanting uh, tax-exempt and all the rest. They know there's murders being caused. Good people are being killed. Babies are being sacrificed and so forth. They know this, and they're trying desperately to fight it. And he'd just come from 200 men of the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, had met. And they came away. He said they don't know what to do. They really don't. So he was going to be there that night. So I said to one of the pastors who'd been a missionary, I said, have you ever put a hedge of blood around a building? He said, no. I said, would you like to? I said, we're going to be dealing with the enemy tonight. Would you like to? He says, yeah, I would. He says, you, you be the teacher. I said, I'm going to do it just the way I was taught. And we walked around the periphery of that building. I had claimed my throne rights, except the authority Jesus gave me. I covered myself, this dear brother, and now I was putting a hedge of blood around this entire place. Inside, I, put, I covered the, covered the uh, pulpit and the choir loft, the building. That night, the place was packed or standing around the sides because it was a cult night. The whole front section was filled with teenagers with the ACDC and all the rock groups and all out there. They sat. This guy got up for 20 minutes. It was phenomenal. I got it on tape. It was tremendous. Told, and he read some of the lyrics of the jackets that actually they advocate murder. Take the virgin, strip her naked, lay her on the, on the altar, drive it. I threw her heart. That's murder. He went through this whole thing, and then I preached. Satan would have loved to have broken that meeting up. We had teenagers get saved. We had adults get saved. We had God move. And the pastor looked at me afterwards. He said, Wes, I never dreamed. Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. God makes much of the blood in the book. We better too. Now, if you've got a family and you want that precious family protected, then I invite you to do this on a daily basis. We started 12 and 6. They're now 36 and 30. i got two young men that love Jesus. They're soul winners. In fact, I just talked to Wes last night down in West Virginia. They went to New York City. We took 10 of his kids to New York City, and they went street witnessing with 
had the joy of leading 16 to Christ in that city. It was something for the kids who were scared half to death, but went at it. Came back and he got 30 of his kids together, and they went into Parkersburg, West Virginia, where they are, and they were winning souls. They won 15 in one day to Jesus Christ. They're hustling like mad, winning souls. Wayne's doing the same thing in Buffalo, winning souls. He runs our camp in the summer, our snow camp. These guys are godly young men. They really are. And I mean this. They're godly young men. I don't take any credit for that, but I, I say this is what we started when they were 12 and 6. How do you rear a godly family? Make sure they're a Christian. Make sure you're under the authority of God. Make sure you're going to get the proper discipline. Make sure they see an example, a role model in that home. Make sure that you get the word of God into them and then protect them daily with the blood of Jesus Christ and you can be guaranteed your kids are going to live for Jesus. Who's the biggest, God or the devil? God is. Luke, uh, Ezekiel 38 tells us the devil is a created being. Yes, God's more powerful than the devil, but I'm being honest. Most of us have a God, and I don't mean it irreverently, but we have a God that's about this big. Just a small little God. No, 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 no. He's the God that spoke and the worlds were formed. They tell her there's at least 100 billion stars in our galaxy, at least 2 trillion galaxies, 100 billion stars in each, and that's just the periphery of the universe. We have no idea what's beyond that, they tell us. But there's got to be more. You bet there is. And that God that created the heavens... That God that spoke and they were formed and he's named every one of them. That God so loved me, he gave Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus on the cross took my sins in his body on the tree. God poured out his judgment on Jesus. Jesus screamed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He died, was buried, three days later rose again. And that blessed Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father tells me I can win in this matter of enemy fighting. I can win because greater is he that is in me, which is the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's God the Father who so loved Jesus Christ, Philippians 4, 1 John, the blessed Holy Spirit. I can win, and that's why I'm so excited about being a Christian. I'm on the winning team. I've read the end of the book. I know what we're going to have. Hey, it's exciting. Amen. Now, let me say this, and we're going to close. I don't want to keep you here any longer. You've been a very fine audience. appreciate this. But let me say this. If you're here this morning and you are not absolutely certain you're going to heaven, let me tell you something. Eleven times Gehenna, the lake of fire, is mentioned in this book. Ten times, Jesus mentions it. He says, don't go there. It's better to lose an eye, a hand, a foot, and make heaven than to have all the faculties of your body and make hell. He says, there's weeping, there's wailing, there's gnashing of teeth, worm dies not, fire's not quenched. Under the ages, under the age, there is no end. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted Christ, I say this on the authority of the Bible, that's your future. Don't go there. We're going to take a moment. I'm going to take two other things I want to mention to you, but first I want us to bow for prayer right now. Father, I pray as we are bowed in this atmosphere that you've been here. Thank you for helping me explain to these people what the Bible says. And I pray it's been a blessing to them and a help, but there are some maybe here that are not Christian. I wouldn't trade places with them for anything because their future is horrible. But they can have that change today. If they're here and they're not sure they're saved and they know they're not, May they right now make that decision. Now, while our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, listen carefully. If you
you would like to make sure you're a Christian, you would like to know you're on your way to heaven today, I invite you right now in your heart, not out loud, in your heart, to pray this little prayer after me. Not out loud, but in your heart and mean it. Dear God, the Bible says I'm a sinner. I believe it. The Bible says I cannot save myself. I believe it. The Bible says Jesus died for my sins, that he has eternal life to give me. I'll believe that. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I'll be at the tent in the back. Come and get one of these. My love gift to you to let you know exactly what took place. Secondly, now listen carefully to this. If you're not sure of all that's involved in coming under the authority of God, I'll be in the tent. Be glad to explain it as Dr. Tozer explained it to me. And third, this which we have as a prayer. It says this. Dear Father, I come to come to you now as your child that has confessed any and every sin that you've asked me to. I now claim my throne rights as an heir of thine and a joint heir of your son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I now accept the authority that you have given to me as your follower over Satan and his demons. I now cover myself, my mind, my family, my friends with the blood of Jesus. And Satan, I turn to you and I resist you and stand against you in the name of Jesus and the blood which he shed on the cross. I command you to let go and leave alone that which I've just covered with Jesus' blood. Holy Spirit, I invite you to take over the territory the devil had to let go of. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Now notice this, please. This prayer must, hear it, must be prayed out loud to be effective. Satan cannot read your mind. Jeremiah 17.10, when it says the word there reigns, R-E-I-N-S in the King James Version, is mind. Satan is a created being. He's limited. He can put thoughts in your mind, but he cannot read your mind. He's limited. He can't do that. I, the Lord God, know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I, God, alone know that. So we invite you to pray this out loud. Also, if you're learning how to do this, cover your mind with the blood of Jesus in the morning. Have your devotions. Wow. Also, during the day when temptation comes, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Yes, you'll be able to take your stand against that which is evil. You can start living a God-controlled life. If that's your desire... God wants to meet every desire of the, your heart along that very line. So if we can be of any help we want to be, we're going to be in the back of the tent. You can come when we're dismissed. Talk with me if you want. 
I know there may be some of you that this was recorded, I understand, so it'll be on tape, but I also have some material. If you'd like one, you can have one. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this meeting. Thank you for these dear people. I pray that you utilize what you've allowed us to have. We'll protect our kids. We'll protect our marriage. Satan is out to destroy us. He hates us with a passion, because not only because we're Christians, but we were created in the image of the Father, and he hates you. So I pray now that we Christians will take that which you've given us, and we'll go and we'll defeat the enemy, and we'll win precious souls to Jesus, because you are allowing us to be the victorious Christians you want us to be. I commit these dear people into thy hands, and I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, folk, and I'll be in the back of the tent. Back here.